Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, the decision to forgive student loan debt hangs in the balance. Some say it's not just about the debt, but also about the opportunities or lack thereof for minority professionals. There are a number of um, forces at work uh, that make um, the opportunities for black talent as great as they've ever been. We have to make sure that we're creating an ecosystem that works for everybody. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Kenya Thompson, in for Deborah Holt-Noel. It seems as though it's a conversation we just can't escape. Another tragic event involving a semi-automatic rifle ending in the loss of four lives at a local Tulsa, Oklahoma hospital. The nation's continued outpouring of cries demanding for change is something that can no longer be ignored. We, of course, all of us hold the people of Tulsa in our hearts. But we also reaffirm our commitment to passing common sense gun safety laws. And I don't have to tell anybody in this room, but President Biden has taken more executive action to combat gun violence than any other president at this point in their administration. Um, but we cannot, as an administration or those of us who are here, address this alone. Uh, no more excuses. Thoughts and prayers are important, but not enough. We need Congress to act. We have a gun violence epidemic in this country. Uh, we've had over 200 mass shootings this year alone, 27 school shootings. Uh, you know, almost 40,000 Americans die at the hands of a gun every year. This is a peculiar American problem. This doesn't happen anywhere else in the developed world, and we have a responsibility to do something about it. This is the beginning of real gun safety legislation. Uh, I believe this package should not be given short shrift in the United States Senate, and I'm going to begin working uh, with senators to look seriously at this gun package. This cannot be uh, the House gun package. This has to be America's gun package. It's a conversation we'll continue to have on Black Issues Forum because it certainly doesn't stop here. So until then, let's turn our attention to today's discussion. On the heels of the Biden administration canceling $5.8 billion in student loans for former Corinthian college students, many are asking, what about us? We've been curious about what the Biden administration's final decision will be on student loan debt forgiveness. To discuss this and the outlook of the workforce opportunities, we welcome our guest, Maurice Jones, CEO of 110, a network for black talent, Durham's Mayor Pro Tem, Mark Anthony Middleton, and Dr. Henry McCoy, Director of Entrepreneurship with North Carolina Central University. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Reports show that black college graduates are entering the workforce with an average of $25,000 more in student debt loan than white college graduates while barely making enough to pay them off. Henry, from your experience in working with students, do you find that black students are taking out more loan money for school? Yeah, well, I think it's a couple of things that you're dealing with here. You're dealing with situations where we know that the wealth gap between African-Americans and others is um, pretty large. and so. 
um, in order to get to college in the first place, um, you know, a lot of students have to take out debt uh, in order to make it work. But then you also have situations where um, they're also trying to support uh, family members at home and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly something I've seen quite a bit. Would you say it's intensified over the years in your time? Yeah, I mean, I think college education, just like many other things, is is getting more and more expensive. And so when you start thinking about the idea of what does it take to pay for tuition and, and um, being in communities and, and living expenses and things of that nature, so it certainly is a, a lot more expensive. If you look back over time in decades before, the cost of college education was much lower. And, you know, like everything else, it's just gotten higher and higher over time, and it continues to escalate. For months now, we've been hearing rumblings about $10,000 as the magic number. Mark Anthony, is $10,000 enough uh, that the Biden administration is pushing? Is that too small? Is that really enough to ease some of the problems that our students are seeing? Well, Kenya, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, the United States of America is the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. We spend more on defense than the next 10 nations combined. I think we need to look at debt relief as a matter of national security. So the short answer is, no, $10,000 is not enough. Um, you know, the, one of the animating propositions of public education is to have an informed electorate so we can govern ourselves effectively. If we're going to be making decisions about how we run our nation, you need people that are learned, people that are educated. So I think we, we need to view this as a matter of national security, um, loosening up and, and talent, uh, making sure that we have folk to, to populate uh, our factories, folk that are informed and educated uh, to make sure that this democracy thrives. So the short answer is $10,000 is not enough. I think we sh it should be on par on what we spend on defense. Correct. Uh, you know, we, we look at graduation four years after graduation, students are coming out of school, but studies are showing that about 48% of black students still owe an average of 12.5% more than they've actually borrowed. Maurice, we're going to have a more in-depth conversation later about job opportunities, but from your perspective, is this a racial economic justice issue? Well, it is definitely an issue regarding to regarding the wealth disparity that we have in the country, which breaks down largely along the lines of race and place. Uh, and so in, from that perspective, uh, to, to repeat what the mayor said there, this is a, an issue of, of national security and how we make sure that the country really is positioned to be the global leader uh, for the future. And when you've got that kind of inequality, you've got a huge risk. And I think what we're all talking about here is change, right? But as we know, most times when we talk about change, that boils down to providing education on the need for change. So, Dr. McCoy, are colleges and universities being proactive with educating students on the potential dangers of student loans? Well, I think that, you know, most universities that I've, um, you know, dealt with really understand this to be a huge problem because, I mean, it, it affects so many other things. Uh, when you have uh, students who take out loans to try to get through the university, sometimes those loans max out and, uh, you know, they have to leave the university early, have to get a job. And so if they're not completing the university, then, you know, that certainly is a problem for the university. In addition to that, we know that uh, one of the key aspects of uh, you know, sustainability colleges is, is donors uh, and, and those alumni. So if you have alumni who can't afford to, to, you know, even give small amounts back to you because they're 
paying student debts for so long, then that becomes a sustainability issue for the university. So I think most universities are trying to do more to educate their students uh, on the, the issues around student loan debt. But again, it certainly is an economic issue. You think about something um, that we must remember, President Obama often has admitted that it wasn't until he essentially became, uh, you know, uh, globally known um, that he was able to, to stop, to pay off his student loans. And so that should give you some context of just how big of a burden that is for most folks uh, when they leave the university. Mm. And Mark Anthony, when we look at the local landscape as far as student debt goes, is the state doing anything locally to help advocate for our students who are finding themselves in this position? Well, not enough. You, you've heard conversations about uh, financial literacy uh, in high school and, and teaching the importance of debt and, and debt management uh, while students are in high school. Uh, you've heard talk about that, but in terms of, of statutes or, or codifying that, um, I don't think enough. You know, it, it's interesting when, when my billionaire fraternity brother, Robert Smith, uh, took care of the debt for the Morehouse class of 2019 and you saw that kind of Pentecostal church service break out. Uh, at graduation, I think that suggests that those students understand the ramifications. They knew what they had to go through in order to fund the education. So it's not so much that we don't know uh, what it means because that celebration suggested they understood exactly. He wasn't just undeferring dreams. Um, he was also releasing an economic stimulus plan uh, for America. All of that money that would have been spent on debt now is free to start businesses, to buy cars, homes, to stimulate the economy, uh, which makes you know good sense. But to your original question, no, I don't, I don't think we're doing enough in terms of, of uh, law. This has got to be a federal problem, this is a federal issue, and we're going to need federal intervention and leadership on it. Dr. McCoy, let's talk about accountability for the universities and the colleges. We've seen the example with Corinth College and those students who seem to have been um, misled in certain areas. What is this state doing specifically to make sure that the schools are being held accountable to ensure that they're directing our students in the right, on the right path? Well, certainly one of the things that we've seen in recent years and recent decades is the rise of the for-profit university. Uh, most universities in North Carolina are not-for-profit. Um, you know, they, they've been set up for the specific purpose of educating the populace and trying to make sure that, that you know, we do have an educated um, workforce, an educated population. And so what we've seen that really has been a challenge is this rise of for-profit universities. And I think in some ways it's not to say that, that having a for-profit university is inherently bad, but they, in, they tend to be a lot more expensive, uh, as well as there's also um, sometimes challenges with accreditation and make sure that, making sure that students are getting what they're paying for. And so I think that combination makes it very, very challenging. So I, I think, at least for now, we haven't seen some of the same kind of issues here in the state on the ground around um, students dealing with these organizations. But because we now have online learning, um, students can take uh, classes from you know universities all across the country. That's where that issue ends up creeping up into the state whenever you're talking about for-profits that, that you can't regulate uh, from you know North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Maurice, I want to bring you into the conversation. Um, have you seen kind of this, this trend of students coming into the workforce still dealing with some of these student loan debt issues? Oh yeah, uh, students come into the workforce with debts and student loans are probably the number one issue. And, Look, that impacts uh, a number of things, right? It impacts their ability to uh, purchase a home, right? One of the 
one of the biggest sources of wealth that we have in our country. It, it impacts the ability of folks to um, acquire credit for other assets that uh, that they need. So, yeah, that this is one of the the big issues, uh, as I suggested, with respect to the wealth disparity uh, in the country right now is the loans that students bring into the workplace and the need to have to pay them off before they can do things like purchase a home uh, and, and start their journey and building the assets they need to, to really um, do the kinds of things that they need to do or desire to do throughout the course of their lives. Yeah. I know we don't have a magic wand, but if, you know, Dr. McCoy, I'll, I'll pitch this to you. If there was a number that you think could kind of put us back, put our students back on a course of success, what would that magic number be for our community to to get back into a space of being able to now progress forward? Well, like you said, there's no magic number. I think it may be more of a percentage, right? I mean, depending on what university you go to, depends on what kind of um, cost you you associated with. Public universities certainly uh, are are you know very cost effective, or essentially more cost effective sometimes than privates. But you know, privates are important as well. And so, uh, you know, it may be one of those situations where perhaps uh, you look at. Um, um, you know, eliminating 50% of, of students' college debt or something to that standpoint or, or finding some way by which they can do more service in the, for, on behalf of the state, the nation, or whatever that could, that could get that um, debt eliminated altogether. So I think we have to be more creative in terms of what that looks like. Historically, black workers have been overrepresented in low-wage entry-level jobs and underrepresented in senior leader and executive roles. 62% of white graduates are in full-time employment, while only 53% of black graduates hold those positions. Often we think of workforce preparedness as preparing people for the jobs out there, but reality is there are many systemic barriers that prevent many from benefiting from the employment opportunities that do exist within our community. Maurice, I wanna to come to you. What would you say uh, that equal work opportunities exist for black and brown students? Do they actually exist? So I would say that we've got a number of barriers that we need to tackle before you really have equal access to quality uh, employment opportunities. Let me give you an example of one that 110 in particular is embracing and fighting. Uh, if you look at the workforce today and you look at jobs that pay $60,000 and above, what you see is on paper, 79% of those jobs require that you have a four-year degree in order for you just to compete. Same way, if you look at jobs that pay $40,000 and above today across the country, you'll see that on paper, 71% of those jobs require that you have a four-year degree. And then look at the workforce. If you look at black talent in the workforce ages 25 and above, what you see is 76% of us do not yet have our four-year degree. And by the way, that number is 66% across all demographics. But what you see really clearly is a credential that is a systemic barrier to literally folks earning their way into the middle class in America that has a particularly adverse impact 
on black talent and other talent of color. This is something that we can do something about. And what the 110 journey is about is trying to help the country, the private sector in particular, to move to a skills first basis for hiring and for promoting. Look at skills and look for those skills that you need to do the job and the various ways that people can come about them. If we can uh, achieve that kind of culture in our employment sector, we will make it one that is definitely more fair and more accessible to black talent and, and other talent of color in particular. I want to put a pin there and add a question. Would you say that uh, trade-based jobs are starting to increase? Are we seeing that need come back into our economy? What I would tell you is we are seeing a skills-first approach across all jobs, not just trade jobs. I mean, you're seeing it in finance, you're seeing it in operations, you're seeing it in sales. I think more and more companies are realizing, look, what I need is an individual who has the skills and the aptitudes and the attitudes that, that can enable them to master this job. And that is not at all conditioned by the degree or the credential that one has. And look, keep in mind, this is in the context of an economy where we have 11 million unfilled jobs. And so um, employers in particular are realizing that they have to take another approach or a set of other approaches in order to get the talent that they want. So yeah, I think what you're seeing now is a movement for skills first as the way in which companies are going about hiring and promoting talent. And let me tell you, that is a very good thing. and We need to accelerate that move. On the heels of that, we know that our students need to be prepared adequately to complete and compete the employment pool that is oversaturated with candidates. Some of um, some people are asking questions, is there a learning gap among our students? Dr. McCoy, are students being met where they are educationally? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of things that, that Mari says is absolutely correct. And I think we can't disconnect this from the previous conversation about student debt. I mean, what um, individuals are seeing is they're seeing their parents or their friends who go to college to get they get large amounts of debt, they get into the workforce and aren't being compensated the way that perhaps they should. And so now you're asking the question the value proposition. I think right now what we have to do is really rethink overall kind of how are we getting those skills? How are we being educated? Because, you know, many of us came up during a time where the, the kind of the place you had to get your education was in a traditional university or, you know, perhaps community college or things of that nature. Folks are now learning their skills in a lot of different ways. They may be learning it because they, they have their own computers and they're figuring it out themselves and those kind of things. So I think there's always a, a place for formal education. And so I think the, the key, based on your question, is really understanding where folks are and meeting them where they are, um, doing better assessments to figure out, wait a minute, um, I didn't know that you, didn't, that you had this skill um, that you do have, and you picked it up someplace that perhaps I didn't even know you could get it. And so I think we have to do a better job of really, um, yeah, 
meeting folks where they are and assessing what they have, um, giving them the filling in those gaps that they don't have and figuring out, you know, where they really need to be, um, you know, whether it's in a program to get a credential, whether it's at a community college, whether it is at a, at a, a four-year college, or whether it's some other route for them to be prepared for the workforce and those 11 million or so jobs, as Maurice said, that, that, that are unfulfilled right now. And, and in that assessment, a lot of times we see many professionals or recent graduates taking that alternative route to entrepreneurship. Mark Anthony, uh, I know Dr. McCoy, you are the Director of Entrepreneurship at Incentral, and we'll come back to talk to you about that. But is there sustainable support stateside for students and professionals who desire to go straight into entrepreneurship? You know, that, that's a great question. I'm the mayor pro tem of the, of the nation's 75th largest city. We have one of the highest per capita PhD rates in the country. We're known as a startup capital uh, uh, of the South, particularly uh, in the tech industry. So I'm very proud of the ecosystem, and Dr. McCoy participates in it rather robustly here uh, in Durham. I'm very proud of the ecosystem we've, we've created uh, here in Durham to, to promote that, um, to inspire it, uh, and to support it. But, you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of us that are still locked into that traditional uh, uh, mode of success, going to those traditional institutions. It's almost cliche to hear people talking about how much money they spent on a degree they're not using or how much money the company had to spend on training them to actually do the job that they were hired for and looking for relevance uh, with their degree. If I can you know, say one thing about this, this whole structural thing very quickly, you know, if, if you understand the difference between starting to save for retirement at 25 as opposed to 55, and if you, if you see that there are implications and differences in that, then you understand the structural uh, impediments that, that black and brown folk have faced in this country. Uh, we're getting into the market now and being allowed access, but you know, there were legal restrictions against us starting to save, so to speak, when we were 25, and now that we're 55 in the nation, uh, folk want us to get in. So a lot of these families, uh, when they send their kids to school, it's hard enough to support your household on the job you have. Uh, and now to leave that job and to have to start another household because junior uh, or, or, or daughter's away uh, at school um, and you are already struggling to support that one household, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a great challenge. So I, again, I, I just want to stress, and if folk in Washington are watching, we need to see uh, debt relief uh, and, and student success as a matter of national security. Mm -hmm. Dr. McCoy, hearing his answer, what would you add to describe the landscape of entrepreneurship in North Carolina? Well, certainly, you know, North Carolina is a state that's been growing by leaps and bounds. We're almost 11 million people right now. And so folks come here because they love the climate. They love the, they, they do love the institution. I mean, I think that's a part of what attracts them here because they do have talent. And so I think that, you know, there's certainly the, the thing to think about is entrepreneurship is a part of the overall ecosystem because it's the entrepreneurs who create the jobs. And we definitely need to make sure that, I mean, we have entrepreneurs um, that look like us, black entrepreneurs, um, people of color that start jobs, we have to start companies, we have to figure out how do we make sure they have the resources to grow those companies. And again, this is all tied in together because it's about access to capital. You know, black folks don't have the same kind of uh, access to friends and family capital that, 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 you know, the white community has. And so all these things work together. And so part of what we need to make sure we're doing as a state is embracing this idea of how do we ensure that uh, you know we folks are getting a, a, a fair shake at this. Uh, the, the last thing I say about that is that um, one of the things that we see with every recession is we see a huge uptick of entrepreneurial activity, particularly in black communities, because 
you know, the, the cliche is true that, you know, we tend to be the last hired, first fired. And so we have to make sure that we're creating an ecosystem that works for everybody. And so that's going to mean people with skills. That's going to mean people with two-year degrees, four-year degrees, entrepreneurs, because that, that's how the economy uh, works and how it grows. A couple minutes left here. Last question to you, Maurice. As you work to fight for equitable treatment of employees among employers, what's your outlook on the next few years as it pertains to advanced roles for the black community? I am really optimistic. Uh, I think there are a number of um, forces at work uh, that make um, the opportunities for black talent as great as they've ever been. I think one is the fact that you've got a bunch of unfilled jobs, as I mentioned, 11 million. And so that has forced employers to, to, to really be um, innovative in how they're sourcing talent. I think you also look, we're in a moment right now. Um, the, the recession, the um, pandemic, the killing in particular of Mr. George Floyd, uh, the murder uh, now two years ago has really, really moved people to see more clearly that we've got work to do to make this truly a land of opportunity and a more perfect union. And I think people understand that that means that we've got to make sure we get black talent off the sideline and into positions where they can make the contributions that are commensurate to their skills and, and attitudes and aptitudes. So uh, in a word, optimistic. Well, the future looks bright and I'm excited for what's to come for our students and our black and brown community as far as it, the workforce goes, especially with those 11 million jobs left to fill. Thank you, gentlemen, for this conversation. Definitely doesn't stop today. We need to continue enforcing and, and encouraging our community to go out there, find those jobs, and advocate for themselves. But thank you for the work that you do. Thanks thank for you, having us. Thanks. Thanks all. I want to thank today's guests for joining us. We invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any times on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Kenya Thompson. Thanks for watching. through the financial contributions of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.